expression, a religious service. We could be having a prayer service right now. It is our prayer that the current progress on human rights, and you would even hear people say at the moment, it's our prayer that our country would not be divided after yesterday's referendum. Um, Pope Francis, did you know that Pope Francis is an Instagram post? He actually freely admits that he regularly falls asleep while he's praying. Can we get a who here? I need to be honest now. Who here has ever fallen asleep while they were trying to pray? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, Dev and I always, we, we, we try and pray together last thing at night. I, I've fallen asleep mid-sentence. And like there have been a couple of times, and then you know when you're on your way out to sleep and you start saying some things, and like it just makes, and Deb's like, what are, what are you talking about? Like I've, I've actually started going to sleep and so my words are no longer making any sense. We find it hard to get motivated to pray sometimes, don't we? We get bored while we're praying, our minds wander, other priorities get in the way. Have you noticed how when you try to pray, maybe, that's when you start thinking of all the other things you've got to do. We feel awkward sometimes to pray in public. We're sceptical sometimes as to whether it even works. We're angry sometimes because we haven't had answers. We're envious because nearly everyone else seems to get answers, but we don't. Sometimes we're just lazy. Got better things to do. And we're waiting for some day in the future when we'll get serious about this. But if you could step out of the here and the now and, and imagine getting up on the balcony getting a look into us and into our life. I'll bet you that, that many of you here, most of you here, me included, would actually say that prayer is good. That, that it gives us the opportunity, it gives me Jeff Shepard, individual, the opportunity. It gives you, whatever your name is, individual. It gives you in your family. It gives us together as a community. It gives us the opportunity. I bet you we'd say this from up on the balcony, yeah? It gives us the opportunity to change our world. It's the most powerful, exciting, life-giving activity that any person could ever take part in. And for me, for us, for all of us here in this church, again, you get up on the balcony and what do we really want? I mean, do we want just a nice country club that we come to on Sunday morning and we all do what Karl Marx said? We, we use the opium of the masses. He said religion is the opium of the masses. So we would just come to this nice little country club on Sunday morning and feel good because we came and just enjoy our time together and then go home. And we just 
want it to be for us. Would we want that? I bet you not many of us would. We would actually want to see people coming to, getting to, coming to know Jesus Christ. And not just, not just coming to know him, but, but then growing to be more like him. And that doesn't just happen. And then not just growing to be more like him, but then taking his message, taking the good news to tell other people about the good news of Jesus so that those people can come to know Jesus and grow to be more like him and tell other people. I bet you that's what we want. And I know. And I bet you you know too. If we're up on the balcony looking down, what I just described will not happen without us praying. And say it another way, when we pray, that will happen. So what are we going to do about prayer? If you've got your Bible, flip open to Luke chapter 18 with me because this is a story if you were here last week we saw a story that jesus told about prayer here's another one we're going to see see more of what jesus has to say about this whole thing i'm going to read you the story then jesus told his disciples a parable luke chapter 18 verse 1 parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Here's the story. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. Uh, read that as people. Didn't fear God, didn't care about people. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, people, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, so there's the end of the story. Now the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen one who's cry chosen ones who cry out to him day and night will he keep putting them off i tell you he will see that they get justice and quickly how when the son of man comes will he find faith on the earth now this is a parable remember parables jesus party trick his most popular method of teaching they're short imaginative fictional stories with a meaning and the principle of learning for us we spoke about last week is that we have to look right into the parable and we have to understand what the parable meant for those who were listening to it as Jesus said it that's way more important than understanding what it means for us now we find what it means for us now by understanding what we call the historical and the cultural context into which Jesus spoke. That's critical for understanding and studying parables. And that's the context in which we're going to have a look at this today, eh? And in particular for us, if, if you are a regular part of this church and you're watching online with us, if you are too, um, if you're not, it's absolutely just as applicable to your church 
But for us here at Mill Park Baptist Church, last week, remember we came back, I had just returned from my leave and I shared what I felt God really wanted me to share with you. Right now, because we have been in a season of challenge, real big challenge here in this church. And as we emerged from what have been some really difficult months, and, and, and let's just be honest, friends, they've been diff- difficult on different levels and to different degrees and in different ways for lots of people. Not, not just a small group. God's then, when I came back from leave last week, remember I said to you, God had kept drawing me back to these words while I was on leave. Here they are. It's in Second Chronicles chapter 7. One night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, Solomon, king of Israel, remember? He said, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this temple, the new temple that Solomon had built, um, as the place for making sacrifices. At times... Solomon, at times in the future, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls. I might command grasshoppers to devour your crops, your livelihood. I might send plagues among you. Well, then, because I might do that, then when that happens, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways for things, then I will. That's as good as God saying, then I promise. I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins and I'll restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attended to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and I've set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honoured forever. I will always watch over it for it is dear to my heart. And in the mixture of feelings and sensations and perceptions and perspectives and reactions and convictions here in our church, God would say to us, and we said this last week, Mill Park Baptist Church, you'll pray your way out of this season of challenge. Or he might say something like, on Mill Park Baptist Church, it's a new time now. It's actually time to stop talking and digesting and dissecting and following through. It's time now to pray. Yes, you'll pray your way out of this. You take a look at this story with me. The setting for the story, it's in verse 1. And it's Jesus talking to his disciples again. Luke is the author. Dr. Luke, we know he's a physician. He gives us this little editorial note. And he tells us the precise reason why Jesus told this particular story. Did you see? It's to show them, it's to show the disciples. These people are following Jesus. It's to show them that they should always pray and not give up. It's to show them that they, 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 they should always pray. Well, that's nice language, isn't it? You know, you should eat your 
three fruits and five veg. You should get eight hours sleep a night. But you know, the Greek language is probably a bit stronger than that you should put on deodorant in the morning. And so the, the word that it uses is actually, it is necessary. That's what the Greek language says there. And if you look at the construction of the language, what this means is that Luke's actually telling us the reason Jesus told this story, you're listening, is that it's necessary. It's obligatory. It's essential. It's intrinsic to following Jesus that we do this persistent praying thing. And then it's necessary, it said there, for them to always pray. The language, is, it's not suggesting that, that you should just walk around like a prayer zombie, you know, like, and so you, you can't do other things because you're praying. That's not the language. You know, sit under a bush in the desert and just pray all day. Sit up on top of a pole and pray all day. It's just talking about praying again and again and again, persistently. And it's so that they don't give up. So we'd do better to actually translate that wording, if you've got your Bible there, as something more like to show them that they should always pray and not grow tired or weary. So here's the point. Jesus tells the story so that these people will realise that in the midst of hardship, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of delay, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of challenge, the follower of Jesus should not stop praying. It's a powerful story and it's expressly designed to show the listeners and therefore to show us that we should pray again and again and again and again and not grow tired or weary or distracted. So look at the parable of the black widow. I bet you haven't heard that name for this parable before. That's all right, just stay tuned and you'll find out where it comes from. The judge, let's have a look at the judge. He starts this judge. Uh, He's probably a political type of police judge. And as the disciples are standing around listening to this story, they they, they picture this judge. It's a real life picture in their mind's eye because he's probably a Jew and he's no doubt a powerful man, as we say, a, a police judge. And And this particular judge, he's not known for his compassion either. He doesn't fear God. That's his reputation. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about people either. If you look up other extra-biblical literature from around that same time period, you find these sorts of descriptions are used of people who've just got a fiercely independent will. You see, this judge is a man who has enough power and authority not to be the least bit affected or perturbed by what people think of him. A few weeks ago, Dev and I were at a little function um, one afternoon, and I got talking to a guy who I know well, um, and, but I haven't seen him for a long time. This guy, uh, and I said to him, because so, he had his own law practice, he's a, he's a solicitor, well, he was a solicitor, I said, so you're still practicing law? And he's a, he was a criminal lawyer. He said, oh, no, 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 I'm a magistrate now. I said, oh, right. This guy's a... A magistrate in our in our in our court system, and um, smart guy, nice guy. 
But as we talked, and I said, hey, so, and then one of my brothers came up and we were talking to him together. So I said, so, because he knows me, all this guy, I said, so, I'm a, I'm a cop. I'm always a cop, you know. Um, used to be a cop, he knows that. I said, so, what would I think of you as a magistrate? Because, you see, as a police officer, you, you know the magistrates. It's not like you go and have a cup of tea with them or talk to them, but you, you know who they all are. And there are ones who have a reputation for, yeah, like, like really, really soft. There are ones who have a reputation really compassionate and caring. And there are some that have a reputation, man, they don't give a rip. And he said, oh, you, you probably wouldn't like me that much. <laughs> he said, I'm pretty soft. And as we spoke to him, you know, like it, it, was, it was evident to me as we spoke, nice guy, and I'm sure this is just his personality, like it wouldn't perturb him in the least what I think of him. It wouldn't, it, it's not going to affect him at all. He is what he is. He'll do what he does. And he told me a story about it. You know, he'd given bail to some offender just the week before and the, and the police officer really wasn't happy about it. He said, I could tell looking at him. And you could tell as well. It's like, well, tell someone who cares. I don't care. And we're in a setting here for this, this judge. I mean, there's no other things that help people. There's no Centrelink. There's no aged care and no nursing home for people to go to. There's no work care payments. There's no VCAT to go and appeal to. Poor people in this world, in this setting, they struggle. And none more so than female widows. Because they've got no standing in society. They don't have class. Men do, women don't. Females, widows, they don't. Very few rights. No means of income at all. And usually, often, no one with any sense of obligation to look after them. Now, judges surely are in a place to do a job. And part of that job, wouldn't it be? A big part of that job, we want to have justice and equity in society. We want to look after the poor and the widowed and the disadvantaged, but not this judge. He doesn't care what people think. He doesn't care what God thinks. He's not the sort of guy whose compassion gets the better of him. The laws of God don't move him. Public opinion doesn't sway him. Look at the widow's request. She might not actually be old, this widow. Women often marry in this culture at 13, 14 years of age. It's, it's conceivable, you know. She could, I mean, because life expectancy is not great. There's no health care. Widows can quite conceivably be young. She might even be. She could be a teenager who's a single mum with two or three kids in tow. And she's probably facing some type of financial difficulty. It might be that she's just got a debt she can't pay. She could have a landlord who's trying to put her rent up or who has put her rent up and demanding more. She could have a landlord who's given her, if they have them back then, a notice to vacate. And she's going to be out on the street. Perhaps someone's pursuing her over some deal her husband made before he died. Maybe she worked for an employer and the employer ripped her off and now he's refusing to pay her. Here's what she does. Look in verse 3. She keeps coming to the judge. It's written in the Greek imperfect tense. That means it, it, it's, it's repeated trips. 
And she's asking the judge to grant her justice against this person who's causing whatever the problem is. Give her time to pay. Make an order for him to pay her. Who knows? But, but here's what she's doing. She is appealing over and over again to the one person who's got the authority and the power to help her. And look at the judge's first response because for a time he just refuses. The Greek language actually says he was not willing for a time. So he doesn't refuse on legal grounds. You know, like your argument is legally flawed. He doesn't refuse because his hands are tied and he can't do anything. He just can't be bothered helping. It's as simple as that. Look at his second response because now he talks to himself. He affirms his own reputation. I sat and talked with this guy, and none of you here know this guy. Um, believe me, I sat and talked with him. He walked out on his wife. And we sat and talked not so long back. And he said to me, he looked at me across the table in the cafe, and he said to me, it's not, he named his wife, it's not her fault. It's my fault. I walked out and I don't want to be married anymore. I'm a selfish person and that's it. He just affirmed his reputation, this judge. He says, I don't fear God, I don't care about people. So there's a chain of events that have unfolded here. The widow has come to the judge. The judge didn't want to help. The widow kept coming to the judge. He kept refusing to help. The widow still kept coming to the judge. So he finally started to wonder. Look at verse 5. He says, because this widow keeps bothering me, <laughs> I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. You see, this poor widow's persistence has worn the judge down. She keeps bothering him according to her she keeps causing him trouble so he decides to help her you see he reasons with himself if he doesn't help her she'll just wear him out <laughs> that's interesting i can't find a version of the bible that translates this word the word the the, the the greek word the way that i'd like it said because this judge my friends he's in a fearful frame of mind he actually fears being beaten down you know the greek word is hupiadzo hupiadzo do you know what it means it actually means to give someone a black eye and if it's used figuratively so it could mean bang, you got a black eye. Ever had one of those before? But it could also mean figuratively just to wear you down emotionally. Just to beat down your reputation. Death by a thousand cuts. Just keep on. Keep on. I got a guest pass once to go in the Qantas Club. I'm not a Qantas Club member, but I got a guest pass. I was going over to Thailand to this conference, and the guy that I went with, he got the guest pass. And so we got in the Qantas Club in Melbourne, go to the conference, and then we come back and we're going to fly back. And we're at Bangkok Airport. 
and we go to the Qantas club and there was something wrong so they, they said to him that he could go in but they wouldn't let me in and I said to him well you go in do you know what I did <laughs> like, I just stayed there in the foyer I just kept smiling at the lady <laughs> and then every, little, every so often I was saying are you sure sure I can't come in and then she would look at me, yes, sir, no, sorry. But after about half an hour, I just stayed in the foyer, pleasant, nice. You sure I can't come in? And then she's like this. She, she looked, looked both ways. She goes, oh, come in. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just wore her down. To get in there you know that feeling you fight and you fight and you fight and you fight and then eventually you just say look it's not worth it anymore i'll just give up so this judge finally comes to the conclusion that unless he grants this woman's request she's just going to keep on coming and coming and coming and at very best that's going to wear him out but you never know she might even get so sick of his delays that she walks in one day and punches him in the face and gives him a black eye I'd better do what she's asking, he thinks. Or I might get a black eye for my trouble. You take a look at this woman, the one Jesus is talking about, and imagine the disciples listening to what he's got to say. There's a judge. They know. He's, like, this guy's the end of the line in authority. He's a law unto himself. And this particular judge, he doesn't respect God. He doesn't care about people. And then there's this, this poor, marginalized widow. She's on the sidelines of society. She's truly on the outer. She's poor. She's desperate. She's broken. But she goes to that judge and she goes again. And then she goes again. And she goes again. And she goes again. And eventually this judge, this selfish, self-opinionated, arrogant, couldn't give a rip what anyone thinks sort of judge gives in and then Jesus after he tells that hard-hitting story makes some comments on prayer because the story ends there in verse 5 he's got their attention they've heard the story the cogs of their minds are ticking over and they're starting to understand but now he's going to help them understand and I know you want to understand too from up on the balcony I do so just take a look at Jesus comments they're not they're not my comments they're his all right? The judge, compared with God. You'll make a mistake if you say, because he, he says, hey, just stop for a second, think about this judge. You will make a mistake if you think that he's trying to compare the judge with God. Jesus brands this judge as unrighteous, and that's because of his lack of respect for God or of compassion for the widow. So just like we, last, last week, remember, we, we had that. It's, it's a lesser to greater argument or a how much more argument. Really, really comment, common in the New Testament of our Bibles. And it goes something like this. This is the way it plays out. Hey, guys, you just heard the story. If such an ugly sort of judge can bring himself to respond to the repeated pleas of someone who is nothing in her world, how much more would a big, powerful, loving, righteous God respond to his very own children? If an unrighteous, unloving, uncaring judge 
would bend so low as to help out an ostracised, alienated, downtrodden, despised widow, if that would be true, how much more would an awesome, all-loving, good God respond to the person or to the church that he loves? How much more? And he asks a couple of rhetorical questions. You know, the answer is obvious. And the Greek language writes a certain construction for rhetorical question. It's, it's structured so that everyone who listens to it or reads it knows what the response to the question is. He says, won't God defend his people? Well, what do you think? It's a no-brainer. That's what he's saying. Of course he will. Will God never answer? Of course he will. There's no other option in the way the language is written for those questions. Jesus is not mincing his words here. Friends, God will bring justice even in the face of trouble. Look at what these people need. In verse 7, they're his children and they cry out to him day and night. You've done that before, haven't you? You cry out. It's the cry of those who are in need of mercy, people who are under all sorts of pressure. And it must be something like that poor widow. I need help. I need help. We need help. We need help. I'm not stopping. We're not stopping. I'm not stopping till I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I tell you what I will do. I will. Here, in my church situation, I will. I will. I'll be the one. I'll be the one to say, I'll stop talking and rehearsing and going back over and rehashing and apportioning blame. And, 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 and I'll, I'll stop all that. And I'll pray. And I won't give up till I see God's results. And will God put that off? Will God keep putting that off? Will God never answer that? Locked in answer. Jesus' words here, they're not necessarily straightforward to understand. It doesn't mean either grammatically or just in my experience. It doesn't mean that at the moment, you know, that God will always come through and do exactly what I'm asking him to do when I'm asking him to do it because that's not what he's saying. It's not this blanket promise. Hey, if you pray and you keep on praying, you'll get whatever you want. It's saying, though, that in the end, God will have his way. And God will do his thing. There's no such thing. Friends, there's no such thing as a stone wall response from God. It's just that it's a bigger response than we can always grasp. And there's this contrast right at the end. He talks about Jesus coming back. We're not going to go into detail on what that last part of the verse means today. Suffice to say that the people Jesus will be looking for when he comes back are the ones who are looking for him. When Jesus Christ comes back to planet Earth, he promised that he will, and he will. Will he find you, me? Will he find us faithful. Oh, I'll leave you to toss and turn in bed over that one tonight, eh? Um, but last week, in prayer though, just to finish this part off, we, we saw Jesus speak, if you are here last week, he spoke last week about the way we should pray as a, as a son or a daughter would, would speak or relate to his or her father, okay? Um, 
Let me take you through some of the requests. Um, one of my kids is here today. These, these are all from, 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 you know, a couple of decades ago when the kids were all really young. Some of the kids' requests. We would have requests what I would class as needs, okay? Kids would all have needs. Uh, Deb and I, as their mother and father, we would always try to meet those needs even without the kids asking for them. Sometimes, though, even if something was a need, rather than just handing them things, as parents, we, we want them to grow. So we would actually try and help them to meet those needs themselves. But here's the bottom line, friends. As parents, we would always make sure that the kids' needs are met. And get this, sometimes to meet their needs, we would actually have to give them something that they did not ask for. Never mind did they want it. Look what Jesus said another time. He said, don't be like these other people. He said, why, why not? Because your father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. And the Apostle Paul said, this same God, he takes care of me. He will, he will supply all your needs. There's no condition to it. He will supply all your needs. Anyone who's following Jesus... Carte Blanche promise, he will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. That's needs. Uh, our kids would want pleasures as well. They would ask for pleasures and they would ask fairly passionately for them. And, and, and you know what? Like, look, we wanted our kids having pleasure and fun. It's worth every cent of it just to see the smile on their face. So, of course, we would give them things that are fun. But in measure, because if we just give our kids fun, 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 we'll have fun, 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 till the sun comes up on Santa Monica Boulevard. If we just give fun, it won't help our kids. We actually need to use even the fun opportunities use them as opportunities to teach our kids and to build their character you see fun things are good friends but in the right measure um, look in Isaiah I love this did you know let's just allow the Holy Spirit to speak here you know there are, there are people sitting here this morning and th this would be a word from the living God to you like to, right into your heart right now It's really, I want the Holy Spirit to be able to speak that word. Did you know that the Lord longs to be gracious to you? Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord, God, Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. God longs to be gracious to you. Sometimes... We would have to say to our kids, not yet. Every time I'd go to get in the car, kids would want to get in with me, so I'd pretend, let them pretend they're driving the thing, and then you'd get there and you'd let them drive down the driveway, and then one day, like, I'd already left to go for work, and Deb calls me and she says, I don't know how to tell you this. 
I just got home and I left Jake in the car and I thought, oh no. And Jake, you know, like he's this little kid, somehow he's like two years old, somehow he's gotten the car out of park, gotten the handbrake off and he's put the car through the double gates and into the, down the driveway and into the garage. Bang, everything's smashed, you know. <laughs> she said, I just went outside, he was just standing on the seat howling. The kids always wanted to get in the car. But you see, like, generally speaking, we're not going to let them drive by themselves at two years old, are we? So the, the answer is not yet. You'll have to wait. Look at this. Wait patiently for the Lord. I think, I think waiting is one of the hardest things we have to do as people. But wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Um, real quick, um, sometimes the answer is no. There are requests that we're just simply not going to say yes to. So ice cream for breakfast. No. Um, a knife. A sharp knife to play with. No. Um, an open fire. Let me crawl into it. No. You can't. And I assure you, kids would often want to do all that stuff. And they communicate their requests pretty strongly too. But the answer is no, and it's never going to be any different. They drop their bottom lip. They screw their faces up. Sometimes they kick and scream. But it's not going to change the answer. And you know why? It's for their own good. And sometimes it's for the good of the family. They can't comprehend that. They don't see that. But the answer is no. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. That means what it says and says what it means. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could ever imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God knows better. And so there are things that the answer is no to and it will always be no. Regardless of what I think. Um, and finally... <laughs> Because I said so. Oh, no. When, you know, you know, one of those times when you asked your mum or your dad or your mums or your dads or when your kid asked you, ask, 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 ask. The answer is no. Maybe the answer is not even, not, not even just not yet. But then the question keeps coming. There does come a time when you put your foot down and you say no. And then the kid then sometimes says, why not? Just one more time and you say, because I said so. And you see, we could go on drawing comparisons between kids and their parents parents give surprises too they get that parents give surprises kids kids don't even think about asking for it because the parents just give it um sometimes while kids are grieving the fact that mum and dad said no to that request mum and dad are actually putting together the final stages of their plan for some other gift that far outweighs the one that they knocked back sometimes parents grieve more than kids grieve when they can't say yes but they know that they're running with superior wisdom and desire for their kids' well-being. Sometimes it's just the timing too. It's not that the request is bad, but the timing's not right. So what do we do with all this? If God says, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. The answer might be obvious to you. We're a church. Remember, a church... Um, a church is not like we, we call 
this structure, the church, don't we? That's not the biblical definition. The, the church is us, it's the people. The building's just the place where we meet. Um, the church, we're a whole group of people, we're individuals as part of that church, and all of us, every single one of us, absolutely need God. We need Him. And here at Mill Park Baptist Church, you know, we do lots of things. There are plenty of things we do well. And we're actually pretty much good people. But we do, like, we do. And, and, and when I say we, here, like me, like Jeff Shepherd, front of Q, we do and say silly things. And sometimes we do and say wrong things. You know, some things are just unwise. Some things are just in poor taste. Some things are just flat out wrong. Well, all of us, I mean, me at the front of the queue, we're all, we're all that way. But can you imagine, can you dream for one second and imagining, imagine what would be happening as we dispense, as we would say to ourselves as a church community, hey, no, like, disciplined intentionally, no more analysis and going over and discussing and addressing Instead, let's pray. Can you imagine that? Can you dream of praying like even more so? Can you imagine maybe never before of being here tonight just for an hour at Encounter and feeling when you're there like you're in the trenches fighting a war alongside your fellow prayers? doing business in the eternal realm to see lost people brought into the kingdom of God and their lives changed forever. Can you imagine praying down spiritual strongholds over people and organisations and over the church itself? Can you picture praying for the church leadership team and just pleading with God for their wisdom and their protection and their courage and their boldness? You know... Um, February last, last year. And it, this, was, this was before we knowingly got into our time of where, where there was conflict. and it, like, Things were ticking along all right then. And we had our, um, all the leadership group were together. We spent a Saturday together at the start of the year. And at the end, we wrapped it all up and we came up with three things. What are the three pillars of what, as leaders, we want to do this year? Do you know what the first one was? Pastor Sammy was the one who said it. Um, do you remember what it was, Sammy? Unity. unity. Sammy said we need to pray for unity. We need to pray. He said that in February last year. We need to pray for unity. So listen, friends, just, um, just while we finish here, real quick, here, here, here now, you and Mill Park Baptist Church. And remember, if you're from another church, I'm sure this is applicable to you. Here's some things you can do. I'm going to be quick. You can pray. So even if you don't know anything more than just to pray, like we said earlier, Jesus, please help, or you can pray to for your church, you can say, God, please make our church more like the church you want it to be today. Please, would you do that? Um, can I, can I when, when you say you can pray, can I resist, can I ask you to resist the urge, because I don't know about you, but what I want to pray in there is, I want to pray for so-and-so. Bring him to repentance, bring a change, you know, like, can I resist the urge to do that? It's much better to say, 
It, it, you know, because, because I have people telling me, we need repentance, we need repentance all around. Yeah, we do. Okay, so just pray and say, God, would you please bring repentance everywhere in our church where it's needed? Would you start with me? Start with me. And if I'm honest, once we start with me, I probably won't have too much time left in the prayer time to start thinking about other people. So God, help our church. You can pray with another person as well. Just grab one friend from the church. Make a time when you can pray together, even just once a week. It'd be great if you could meet together. If you can't do that, just do it over the phone. Just put 15 minutes aside. And so let's pray together and we're going to pray for our church. You can pray in a small group as well. Instead of just praying in your small group you know like you know dear lord please bless us as we meet together tonight dear lord thanks for being with us tonight how it can keep us all safe when we travel home instead of just doing that what about praying together and saying holy spirit would you breathe new life into us would you pray for the god of history to break through against satan's evil methods and schemes which are designed to divide us and to fracture us and to fragment us pray about those and then finally, you can pray at our prayer meetings. Every Sunday morning, a group of people are praying in the, in the meeting room, right sort of up to, over, over your right shoulder. 9.30 a.m. Um, tonight, we're going to be here at 7 o'clock. It's just an hour. And even if you're scared and you, you think, oh, I don't even know what to say, you don't have to say anything. You can just be here and be part of it. Um, and a time when we're crying out to God for his powerful, mighty, transforming, watershed work in, through, and around our church. And if you're scared to pray in front of others, then you can still just be there while others pray. What do you think? Do you think that's what, like, I, I'm sure, I mean, God tells me that, but I'm thinking, it makes sense to me. This is the answer. What do you think? Oh, you think pretty enthusiastic who, who would agree that maybe this would be the answer who thinks hopefully hopefully our um, mellow response to that hopefully that's just because we're a bit scared of expressing ourselves amongst everyone I'm convinced it's the answer friends let's pray together Lord Jesus we just thank you so much Thank you for the story. Thank you for your really clear um, description to us that this, this widow got what she was asking for because she just kept on and kept on and kept on answering, asking. She didn't give up. She didn't grow tired. She didn't grow weary. We ask you to yet help us to do that. Help us to do that. friends now um, we're going to sing and then as we finish even while we're singing but then as we finish you'll see the, the members of our prayer team they'll be um, they'll be up around the back of the church especially up in the in the corner again over your right shoulder they'll be there they will be really happy to pray with you I would be happy to pray with you any of our pastors would too love to pray with you so that's for anything at all love to pray with you and then before we leave that let's just remember that we will have people here with us today we do every week people who aren't yet sure about Jesus and they're looking to Jesus they're trying to find out they're exploring they're just 
Checking it, and that's a really good thing to be doing. We give you the opportunity today to meet Jesus. Jesus who came to earth as the one and only Son of God. Uh, lived and breathed and, and lived on earth in 33 years. And in that time then, never, never sinned, never did the wrong thing himself because he's fully God but also fully a man. And then he dies on the cross. He's a common criminal nailed to the cross. He dies to take the punishment, to pay the price, to shoulder the penalty for the sin nature that every person who would ever breathe breath on earth all of us included, the sin nature that we've got, which makes it just completely natural to us to do our own thing and not to, not to live the way that God designed us to live. And he died to take the punishment for that sin nature and then to invite us to accept his death on our behalf, to thank him for it, and then to say, thank you for forgiving my sin, and now I want to give you my life to live for you. That's, that's it in a nutshell. If that's you this morning, friends, just in this time, you don't have to jump through hoops and there's no special formula of words you've got to say, but just in the quietness, just affirm to Jesus, oh, thank you for dying. Thank you that you died for me. You might even want to say to him, I don't understand all this yet, but what I do understand is that I needed you to die for me. You died for me, and now I thank you for that. Thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I ask you to be the Lord, capital L, to be the Lord of my life. I want to live for you. And if you pray that prayer today, friends, hey, that's the best thing you could ever have done. Um, please, yeah. Catch up with one of our prayer team. Come see me. Come see one of our pastors. We'd love to just know that and to pray with you and cheer you on in that. And thanks for listening. I love you guys. I really appreciate the privilege of speaking to you today. God bless you.